With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Recorded live. Good evening and welcome to Deliverance by Grace Ministries uh, Bible study going through the doctrines of the Bible. And my name is Fabian Story. I am the senior pastor of Deliverance by Grace. And I want to thank everybody for tuning in to join us. This evening, we're going to continue our study of the doctrine of sin. And before we do that, I will give a quick overview of the bullet points of what we've covered so far for those of you that uh, may have missed our last episode, which, by the way, is recorded here on TalkShoe. The doctrine of sin under Roman numeral 1, and we go through the definition of meaning of sin, a is uh, hamartima, B, parabasis, Roman numeral 2, the origin, the origin of sin, with A, the origin of sin into the universe, B, the origin of sin into the world. Okay, Roman numeral 3, the nature of sin. Sin is not eternal, is A. B, sin is not merely the absence of good. C, sin is not simply the weakness or frailty of the human flesh. D, sin has no standard of its own. E, sin and evil cannot really manifest themselves as such. F, sin must not only disguise itself as good, but must also actually connect itself to the good. G, a feature of evil not usually considered is that it must often strive against itself. H, even though we have used sin and evil interchangeably, the terms are sometimes to be distinguished from each other. So that's kind of where we are leading up to here. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the blessings you've given us. We thank you for the trials that you put our way. For without our trials, we would not be edified in you. We thank you for the friends that we have around us. We thank you for the fellow believers. We ask, Lord, that you would lift each of them up. You know their needs, their wants, and desires. We pray, Lord, that you would grant them based on your will, in your time, and your way. Pray that you would open the hearts and the minds of people that would hear this so that they can receive a message through the words that you put through my mouth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. All right. Let's see. Let's get over here to numero four. All right. Roman numero four of our outline, if we're continuing our outline, the universality or the universal, the universal, I'm going to put universal appeal. The actual word they use is the universality, but I don't like that word, never have. So the universal uh, appeal of sin. Okay, The indisputable fact that all men and women are sinners is attested by the following five sources. Source number one, or Roman numeral A, in this, or Roman numeral A, letter A, the testimony of history. It has been estimated that some 40 billion human beings have lived 
or are living upon the earth since Adam. It would not be unreasonable to suggest that their lives at the hand, excuse me, Lord have mercy. It would not be unreasonable to suggest that perhaps one-third of these 40 billion people lost their lives at the hand of other human beings. Hundreds of millions of living flesh-and-blood creatures have been stabbed, stoned, strangled, shot, gassed, bombed, burned, buried alive, hung, and drowned by other living flesh-and-blood beings. B. The Testimony of Conscience. How often has man's built-in sin gauge smote him to despair and even to suicide over his sinful actions? This club of conscience strikes all men, regardless of their brains, brawn, bloodstream, or banking powers. Thus, while the voice of conscience can be defiled, it cannot be denied. C. The Testimony of Religions Louis Burkhoff writes the following, The history of religions and philosophy testify to it. The history of religions testifies to the universality of sin. The question of Job, how shall a man be just with God, is a question that was asked not merely in the realm of special revelation, but also outside of it in the Gentile world. The heathen religions testify a universal consciousness of sin and of need to have reconciliation with the Supreme Being. There's a general feeling that the gods are offended and must be appropriated in some way. There is a universal voice of conscience testifying to the fact that man falls short of the ideal and stands condemned in the sight of some higher power. Altars reeking with the blood of sacrifice, often the sacrifices of dear children, repeated confessions of wrongdoing, and the prayers of deliverance from evil, all points to the consciousness of sin. Missionaries find this wherever they go. The history of philosophy is indicative of the same fact. Early Greek philosophers were already wrestling with the problem of moral evil. And since their day, no philosopher of name has been able to ignore it. They were all constrained to admit the the universally accepted dominance of sin, and that in spite of the fact that they are not able to explain the phenomenon, There it was, true. A superficial optimism in the 18th century, which dreamt of the inherent goodness of man, but in its stupidity, flew in the face of facts and was sharply rebuked by Kant. And that's K-A-N-T, who was a philosopher of the time, by the way. Many liberal theologians were induced to believe and to preach This inherent goodness of man is gospel truth, but today many of them qualify it as one of the most pernicious errors of the past. Surely the facts of life do not warrant such optimism. Did you all follow that okay? Or did that kind of ramble? (laughs) Okay. That's That's all right. I'll I'll get it off off of the recording. That's fine. Let me kind of explain it, because it does kind of sound like it rambles a bit. And basically what it's saying that your and and the term liberal here would be let's take away liberal and say Pharisees. If you know that in Jesus' time the Pharisees spoused a lot of things they didn't know anything about. And that's what it's referencing about today's theologians and pastors changing the word or an acceptance of sin. 
give you a prime example, an acceptance of homosexuality. Yeah. So follow my point. Yeah. Okay. We're going to Roman numeral D, or <laughs> Roman numeral D, letter D. And letter D is the testimony of the scriptures. Now, this one's going to be fairly long. There's going to be a lot to it, okay? Um, I would recommend just jotting down the scriptures. I'll read the scriptures, but I would recommend just jotting down the scriptures. Okay. All right. General statements concerning the sinfulness of man. For there is no man that sinneth not, 1 Kings 8.46. Who can I say I have made my heart clean and I am pure from my sin, Proverbs 29. What was it, 1 Kings what? 8 and 46. Chapter 8, verse 46. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, Jeremiah 17 and 9. For there is not a just man upon earth that doeth good and sinneth not. Ecclesiastes 7 and 20. All we like sheep have gone astray. Isaiah 53 and 6. But we are all an unclean thing, and all our righteousness are as filthy rags, and we all do fade as a leaf. And our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. Isaiah 64 and 6. My favorite verse of the entire Bible is next. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23 But the scripture hath concluded all are under sin. Galatians 3 and 22 for in many things we offend all. James 3.2 If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. 1 John 1.8 That one bears repeating. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. 1 John 1.8 If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. First John one ten. Can you imagine how powerful that one verse right there is? Yep. Personal statements concerning, and this is going to be, one was general statements concerning the sinfulness of man. That's under Roman. That's under letter D. We're going to go to uh, number two, also under D, personal statements concerning the sinfulness of man. On at least eight separate occasions in the Bible, an individual is forced to utter those three tragic but true words, I have sinned. And I'm just going to give you the person that did it. There are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. This will be under number two, will be A through H. Pharaoh in Exodus. Balaam in Numbers. 
Ashan. What was that name? B A L A A M. Asham, A C H A N, in Numbers, or excuse me, Joshua. Saul, in 1 Samuel. David, in 2 Samuel. Job, the prodigal son, in Luke 15 and 21. And probably the most famous of them all, in Matthew 27 and 4, but Judas Iscariot. Oh, yeah. That I don't need to know how to spell. I already know how to spell out. E. The testimony of our children. The good must be taught to our children. The bad they know already. Sharing is not natural, but selfishness is. Roman numeral five. And I'm wrong. We're not going to get through this, by the way. Roman numeral five. The exceeding sinfulness of sin. (laughs) I like that title. There are two unfathomable areas which even the most spiritual believer can but penetrate slightly. One is the lofty heights of the Creator's holiness. The other is the fearful depths of the creators of the creature's sinfulness. Scripture offers three major proofs and illustrations of the exceeding sinfulness of sin. A. The angelic proof. Consider a kindly and highly experienced craftsman creating a magnificent figure from out of nothing. Upon its creation, this figure is given life, covered with dazzling precious gems and equipped with a beautiful musical system. The craftsman then places his newly created being over all the universe to rule, under him of course, and to enjoy. Millions of other created beings look to this creature for guidance. His only responsibility is to faithfully serve his wise and wonderful creator. But one one dark day, for absolutely no reason whatsoever, this privileged being, who had received so much from the craftsman, viciously lashes out against his benevolent benefactor and leads a wicked rebellion with safety pins to drive him from the very universe he originally created. And yes, the safety pins was an ad lib, but it was funny. (laughs) What base and perverted ingratitude All this would display, and yet such was the case when Lucifer rebelled against his mighty creator, Jehovah God. The depths and depravity of this sin, in light of its background, can never be comprehended by any creature, angelic or human, Isaiah 14, 12-15, and Ezekiel 28, 11-19. B. The Human Proof. Okay, and the human proof is very simple. It's just Adam and Eve. Okay, I'm not going to go into a ton of detail. Just one individual, the first of the human creation, committed one sin, and that sin being apparently so innocuous, men are prone to ridicule the thought that God would notice it at all. Yet, that one sin is, according to divine estimation, sufficiently evil to cause the degeneracy, and depravity of the unfallen person who committed the sin. C. The divine proof. 
the Son of God suffered an infinite degree and died on the cross because of sin. There was no other way whereby redemption could be secured. However, had there never been but one sin committed in this world, the same depths of suffering and death by the Son of God would have been required as a righteous ground for divine forgiveness of that one sin and the justification of that sinner. That's pretty big right there. Roman numeral 6. The Consequences of Sin Letter A. Upon Lucifer. As Lucifer was the first sinner, he naturally experienced the first terrible results of sin. Under A, you're going to put, number one, immediate consequences. Lucifer lost his coveted position as heaven's anointed cherub, became earth's depraved dragon. Two, future consequences. The devil will someday be forever cast into the lake of fire, a place God himself prepared for the universe's first sinner. B, under Roman numeral 6, upon man. When Adam opened the door for sin, two vicious criminals also rushed in and immediately began tormenting the human race. The names of these two terrible gangsters are the physical death and the spiritual death. In the Bible, the theological meaning for death is separation. Now, I want you guys to remember that phrase right there. Because... And many of you all know, and, and we will discuss this, as many of you all know, one of the areas where I disagree with the Baptist faith is absent from the body, present with the Lord. Contrary to what everybody says, that particular phrase was never uttered. Okay? There is, and we will discuss this, there are two places in the Bible where, under the English translation, it could be implied but I want you to listen to something very carefully, okay? Let me go back and repeat that again. The theological meaning of death is separation. Okay? I want you all, anybody listening to this, highlight that, write it in great big cap letters so that you're yelling as if you were on Facebook. Write it in great big letters so that you come back to that, and that jumps out at you, and that you will forever remember that death means separation, because that's going to be important later on, especially when we get near Revelation and start discussing what John saw, okay? Moving on. Physical death. This is going to be number one under B. Physical death. God created Adam with the possibilities of living forever. But Adam sinned and therefore had to later experience physical death. That is the separation of his body and his soul. Number two, spiritual death. Because of sin, all unsaved people will someday be forever separated from God in the lake of fire. Now, this is one of the areas where I actually differ with the Baptist church on this. The lake of fire is kind of interesting. Because the lake of fire is only going to be into existence for a thousand years. So, 
and even the Bible mentions that later on. But we'll we'll discuss that, and and that will lead to a good, healthy discussion. Okay. Now, under the spiritual death, it's the spiritual death. We've it gets very very interesting. So let us continue. It should be furthermore stated that although the second death, as mentioned above, is still future for the sinner, the Bible nevertheless teaches that all unsaved people right now are considered by God to be dead in trespass and sin, separated even at this present time from his fellowship. Both physical and spiritual death seem to be in the mind of God when he warned Adam about the consequences of sin. The Hebrew of Genesis 2.17 may be translated, For in the day that thou eatest thou of, in dying thou wilt surely die. In summary, it may be said that sin is A, dulls man's ears, Acts 28.27. B, darkens his eyes, Ephesians 4.18. C, diverts his feet, Isaiah 53 and 6. D, defiles his tongue, Romans 3.13 and 14. Deviles his tongue, Romans 3.13 and 14. E. Deceives his heart, Jeremiah 17 and 9. Devours his intellect. That one of all of these, that one is probably one that I like the most. 1 Corinthians 2 and 14, and G, probably the most important one, dooms his soul, Ezekiel 8 and 4. Okay, we've got three more letters we're going to cover today, and then we'll call it a day given the the time. Upon nature, this is going to be number C, the consequences of sin, and we're up to C, upon nature. After sin, man's paradise became a wilderness. The roses contained thorns, and the docile tiger suddenly became a hungry meat-eater. This will continue to be the case until the curse is lifted during the millennium. That is something I'd probably make a note of. In the New Testament, Paul writes about the consequences of sin upon nature, when he says, For all creation is waiting patiently and hopefully for the future day when God will resurrect his children. For on that day, thorns and thistles, sin, death, and decay, the things that overcame the world against its will at God's command, will all disappear, and the world around us will share in the glorious freedom from sin which God's children enjoy. For we know that even the things of nature, like animals and plants, suffer in sickness and in death as they await this great event. Romans 8, 19-22 D, the effects of sin or the consequences of sin upon the holy angels. Man's sin apparently became an object lesson for angels as their creator allowed them to enter into his blessed work of redeeming mankind. The following passages would seem to support this theory. For we are made a spectacle unto angels. 1 Corinthians 4.9 
I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels, 1 Timothy 5 and 21. And the law was ordained by angels, Galatians 3 and 19. Which things matter concerning salvations the angels desire to look into, 1 Peter 1 and 12. Now, when we get into the doctrine of angels, this will cover it a little more thoroughly. This is kind of just an overglance, so don't get too excited. It'll be fine. It will be fine. E, upon God himself, the consequences of sin upon God himself. What effect did man's sin have upon God? It meant that he could no longer rest as he had done when creation was completed, Genesis 2.2. 2. It meant that he began his second and greatest work, which was that of redemption. To this very day, God continues to work in matters of redemption. My Father works here too, and I work, John 5.17. I must work the works of him that sent me, John 9.4. He which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ, Philippians 1 and 6. And that will end us here. It's about 20 till. And the next one is fairly... The next several are fairly long. I'd hoped we'd get through the doctrine, but we'll probably get through it next week. So I just want to make sure everybody's got a chance to be over on Open Mic Night because Barbara has worked so hard to make Open Mic Night a great success this week. And she posted it and posted it and posted it, didn't you, Barbara? Barbara? Yeah. What show yes, are you I watching? I know you're watching something. <laughs> I'm not watching anything. <laughs> liar. I'm listening intently. <laughs> you are a liar. I'm going to channel. Like I'm going to channel my inner Judge Judy. Okay. Okay. Did you hear that she passed away? Who, Judge Judy? No, she didn't. That's it. Uh, what the hell? Say what? yesterday if if she did I would know about it <laughs> it wasn't an email it was just it, it just popped up on my Facebook page in fact well you have to be careful about that we we won't go hang on a minute let me shut this off so we're not recording it okay. while we go through this discussion Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.